since Chance invited me to join NBC and present video shows, I've been extremely impressed with his competence and professionalism, show after show after show, where we have been covering the most important issues of our time with the best experts available for your benefit and my edification as well. I've learned a great deal through these programs and we must be having some success because the constant harassment and attacks that Chance has experienced right here on NBC are a backward compliment that we are making a difference. In order to continue to persevere, we need your help. We need new equipment, a new server, new computer. We can do it. We're not talking about a large sum of money. But anything you can contribute would be a tremendous help. And I'm going to reach into my pocketbook, too, to help with this most worthy effort. Thank you very much for any contribution you're able to make. This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. In Dallas, Texas, three shots were fired at President Kennedy's motorcade. It looks like one of those scenes of an old building being purposely dynamited and blown. When we are successful, I'm just a patsy, and we will be. We're ready to make uh, to come to the microphone, so we'll listen up. A new world order. So my name's Robbie Parker. It might have appeared that way, but from my close-up inspection, there's no evidence of a plane having crashed anywhere near the Pentagon. Let us never tolerate outrageous conspiracy theories concerning the attacks of September the 11th. President Kennedy died at 1 p.m. Live from the Media Broadcasting Center. 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 This is uh, Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal, where I'm very pleased to have as my special featured guest, Jesse Kozlowski, who's a professional land surveyor, licensed in New Jersey, specializing in geodetic surveying for the majority of his career, and where Jesse has become very interested in the issues related to flat earth. Jesse, what drew you into this subject? Ah, well, that's a good place to start. Um, you know, I I look at a lot of videos on YouTube, and uh, someone told me, a friend of mine told me about uh, this flat earth thing about a year ago, and I I didn't believe them. I said, what are you talking about? And, uh, and they showed me a video of someone talking about the flat earth, and that got me to, I looked at a little of it. I could hardly watch the rest of it. It, it was so ridiculous. Um, but... Uh, I then started seeing more of these videos, and the one that drew my attention the most is uh, is this series put out by I don't know who, but the series is called Flat Earth Proof Number, and there I think it's up to thirty by now. The one that caught my attention was number three, where there's a lot of discussion of the curvature formula, and I looked at that and I thought there's there's something wrong here. They're confusing the ability to see an object far away with how to calculate the drop of the curvature. They're mixing the two together. So I ended up doing some experiments just to try to simply explain this one thing. Uh, and in my presentation that we're going to go through, 
that's all I'm going to really focus on is curvature, not NASA, not photographs, not CGI, none of that. Let's, let's get back down to the basics that you can literally measure the curvature, uh, you know, right here at home in your own backyard. And uh, that's so I made a first video called uh, Geodetic Surveyor Straightens Out the Flat Earth. And um, I didn't have the comments turned on for that one because, you know, I'm new at this and uh, I wasn't sure how that would go with all the comments. And I also didn't like seeing how these two camps go at each other so venomously. And uh, anyway, I made a follow-up video, and that's, that's the slides that we'll be using today called well, Jesse, it, it, you know, it fascinates me from our previous correspondence and exchanges. I, I regard you as extremely competent in this area. Well, I have a, a friend, a contributor to my books, who's also an attorney in, in California, who's observed that if you go to a high elevation on a building and say, look out at the ocean and just take a straight ruler, you can see the curvature above the ruler. I mean, it's, it's that simple to prove. You, you are correct. However, the point is that whenever you talk that way, they're going to have an answer for that. And uh, But basically, anything you say, that's why I don't debate them. I don't enter into the debate. What I've tried to do here with this presentation is show them how they can see it for themselves. Just do these couple of things, and, and we'll get into it. But it's it's up to them, really. And it's certainly for the innocent bystander, um, I'm watching a lot of people. This is the other thing that drew my interest, as as you were asking me, is watching people that I respect, kind of uncertain, and they are being drawn in by the, by these really glitzy, flashy, well done videos. They do very good videos, um, and uh, but they're not sure, and they're starting to wonder. So I thought it's time to kind of step in here and really offer some concrete proof for the innocent bystander who isn't sure. Uh, that, you know, that they'll be able to see this for themselves. I think that's simply wonderful because I frequently referred to the proof of Eratosthenes, who was the director of the great library in Alexandria, produced uh, around 240 B.C. of the curvature of the earth, where he even was able to provide an estimate of the circumference of earth that was a very close approximation using what can only be described as very crude. Uh, Absolutely elements to make that calculation. Oh, yeah, and the uh, the easy answer to that is he didn't exist. No. See. <laughs> you're, you're kidding me. I'm not kidding you, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's like that. That's how it is. This is I, embarrassing. Jesse, I'm real pleased with what you have in mind. Let's begin with your first slide. All right, so as I'm saying here, flat earth proof number uh, zero, and I don't know if you can see that. It looks like... Yeah, I can see it. Okay. And actually, I'm saying none. There, there is no proof of a flat Earth. And I've taken, I, I'm approaching it like this. I'm throwing down the gauntlet, and there it is. And I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm issuing a challenge here, and I'm going to go ahead and literally read the challenge. It's in two parts. Who among the flat Earth believers will answer this challenge? And the first people I'm talking to are these. If you make and post videos promoting the Flat Earth, you are being called on personally to answer the challenge presented in this video. And I don't name them, okay? <laughs> but you know who you are. Everyone familiar with the Flat Earth knows who you are. And this challenge is for you. 
I could have gone through several of the names that I've, I'm familiar with, but if I did that, I'd probably leave off some. So I'm just saying, sure. you guys know who you are. This challenge is for you. Step up, pick up the gauntlet, answer the challenge. And, and besides, I, Jesse, it has to do with the content of their arguments and their adequacy, whether they're deductively sound or inductively proper. And that's independent of who happens to promote the argument. In fact, it's known as a genetic fallacy to determine the adequacy of an argument on the basis of its source. I'm issuing an actual special challenge because surveyors have become drawn into this as well. So this is a special challenge. If you're a surveyor that posts or agrees with posts on social media supporting the flat earth theory, especially one stating that surveyors do not measure curvature or that you have not measured curvature in your own work, you are being specifically singled out because you possess the skills and knowledge enabling you to answer this challenge for yourself and for others taking notice of your posts. You own the equipment or you're in a position to borrow the essential instruments required to answer this challenge. If anyone is in a position having an obligation and a responsibility to pick up the thrown down gauntlet in answer to this challenge, it is you. And from here, I'm going to go through the challenge, and I break it out into six parts, and they're all related. So part one is a very simple one. Explain how latitude and longitude work on the flat earth. Um, I'm going to go through each of the challenges, and then we'll go into the details of that them. That seems so obvious, doesn't it? Yeah. yeah. So, number two, explain why the vertical plumb direction is always tilted away from the middle between any two points at the ends of any horizontal line, no matter how long or short the length is, or the orientation of the line in any cardinal direction, or the terrain along the line over water or land. They're very focused on lakes. And I'm going to show you why they are and, and, and the, the uh, incorrect assumption that they're making about the surface of water. Let me just make, let me just make an elementary point. Yeah. You can have a, a, a vast amount of evidence in support of a conclusion that happens to be false. For example, the claim could be made that all pennies are made of copper. Well, there's a tremendous number of pennies that are made of copper. But it turns out in 1943, pennies were made out of lead because copper was needed for military purposes. So even though you can produce a vast amount of evidence for uh, the claim all pennies are made of copper, it is false. Analogously, we know that in relatively local regions of a spherical surface, the properties of that surface are very close approximations to being a flat surface. Absolutely. And yeah. I believe that that has been a principal misleading element of all of this, Jesse, that too many have mistaken the fact that in relatively small regions of Earth that you can find, you know, properties that approximate a flat surface, even though globally it's preposterous. Correct. Absolutely. Uh, number three. I'm telling, or I'm asking, challenging them to look through the telescope of a simple leveling instrument. They're known as dumpy levels or auto levels. I have one here. This is a very simple instrument, and I'm going to show the people uh, in this presentation how this thing works and how anybody can go get one of these at an A to Z rental center or construction rental where you can rent cement mixers or you know tools that you don't want to go out and buy. You can go rent one of these. And to, tr truly, if 
if the flat earth is uh, so meaningful and so important as they claim it is, that we have to convince everyone the earth is flat in order to change the conditions on earth, then go hire a surveyor for four hours and go meet at your local area where you like to do these experiments and prove to yourself whether or, earth, whether or not the earth is truly flat. So this is part three. Take one of these instruments and then look out there on the horizon at a distant city or prominent object or structure or other prominent land feature visible in the distance. Preferably take a picture through the eyepiece to capture what you see. Uh, I, I am using this because a lot of these flat earth videos do focus on very distant city skylines across lakes or other prominent features, especially that video called Flat Earth Proof Number 3, Land Ho, which is the one that got my interest here. Uh, he shows these areas all over the world where you can see really, really far, and yet he's calculating, using the curvature formula, that these should be over the horizon. And I'm going to, you know, we'll get into that here. Um, Let's go on to number four, the part four of the challenge is to learn to apply the curvature formula correctly by aligning the computed results to the required geometry that the formula specifically calculates. Uh, performing number three will make this very obvious to anyone. Number five, draw the results of number three and four to scale in a computer drawing program. Some people are doing that. I've noticed that some of the Flat Earth videos do include some scaled drawings. That's essential. It will really help people see what you just talked about, Jim, that the Earth appears flat, basically, wherever we are. And for long extents, it can vary. It, it appears flat. It's because of the gigantic size of the planet that we're on. By the way, we, we yeah. of course, know from, uh, from uh, 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 geometry that the interior angles of a flat surface equal 180 degrees, yeah. The interior angles on a curved surface are greater than 180 degrees. So that's another way to approach where the greater the distance between the three points that define the triangle, the greater the deviation from 180 degrees on a curved surface. Absolutely, and you're hitting right on the experiments that I've conducted that I will present here to show people, no matter how long the line is, those two ends of the lines the vertical reference are tilted outward. They do not, some of those angles do not equal 180. They're, they're tilted outwards, and we'll, we'll, we'll see that here soon. Meaning, meaning they're essentially radii of a circle. They're not parallel, as would necessarily be the case if the surface were smooth and flat. I agree, agreed. And, you know, this has been known long before NASA, and I am going to go into some of the history of how it is we actually know the shape of the Earth. Of course, uh, we can approximate it as a sphere, which is adequate for many, many applications, including navigation. But when you want to get down to the millimeter-type measurements that are being made in uh, in a lot of scientific fields, you've got to consider the Earth an ellipsoid. And, and we do know that that is the shape. Jesse, just as a curiosity for my – I've never understood what they thought was beneath the flat surface of the Earth. I mean, what's the rest? Is it elephants all the way down? <laughs> A very good friend of mine keeps saying, "Ask them what's at the bottom." Um, yeah, I, I don't know what's. I didn't. I don't know what is down at the bottom. I mean, it's just. Uh, it seems to me ludicrous on its face. Yeah, and it, the thing is, this has captured a lot of people. I mean, it really has, and to the point that 
I don't know if there's really any hope to get them out of it. So that's why I'm trying to show it to them. And if they would only take the moment to peek through the telescope and see it for themselves, otherwise, from the flat Earth side, you've got to explain why we do observe curvature. How does that fit the model? So uh, continuing here, number six, I had to include six because this is the latest uh, thing that I've noticed maybe for the last few months, five months. Present the technical details to demonstrate exactly how the claim that GPS works from cell towers actually operates. What's the, what's the point of the argument, Jesse? Well, because they, they cannot accept that there are satellites. Because if, if they accept satellites, they have to understand that those are falling around a round planet. They don't accept that there are satellites. The Earth is flat in their, in their model. And therefore, they have to explain away, well, why does GPS work? They just simply say, well, it's from cell towers. So, ah, I see. Okay. Yeah. So if you're going to claim that, you have to explain technically how they're doing that. So what I will do in part six at the very end of this presentation is give them all of the ingredients that they need to explain it away. And uh, let's move, move along here. Uh, before I get into each of the six parts, I just want to throw in a little bit of uh, preliminary information. Uh, I have found that in some of the discussions, a lot of the people pr you know, promoting the flat earth aren't aware of what a measurement is. And they think measurement is counting, and it isn't. It's, uh, it, is, it is anything but counting. But random errors of surveying observations follow the laws of probability. Uh, I, I won't spend a lot of time discussing this. I'm throwing it in just so that it is included, that people understand the, accuracy, the difference between accuracy, precision, and uncertainty in any scientific field where we deal with measurements and surveying, certainly one of them, we deal with measurements according to the laws of probability. We can quantify and characterize our measurements as to their precision. I have to throw this in here, too. You know, NIST is, is the body in the United States responsible for uh, standardizing these procedures, and I just want to say they ought to uh, follow their own guidelines. Well, you know, NIST if you, if you know where, if you know where I'm going with that. Well, this has played a number of propagandistic purposes on behalf of the government in relation to 9/11, for example. It's frankly embarrassing, Jesse. The taxpayer-supported governmental entities are, you know, reduced to sending uh, disinformation, deliberately sending false information to the American people about a major event in American history. Absolutely. Here I'm going to just uh, continue with a couple, three more slides, just about terms, definitions, and models. I have to include this because I was attacked that my math is fraudulent and doesn't work. And I'm here to tell you, I didn't make up this mathematics. This math, these mathematics have existed for hundreds and hundreds of years. And there are bodies, scientific bodies, that maintain our international terrestrial reference frame. Why? Because so many science uh, applications require very precise positioning. VLBI is one of them. Uh, you know, there are loads of them. Uh, you could just go on and make a big list. But I just want to throw these URLs for anyone that can go and find that there is such a thing as the International Earth Rotation and Reference System Service. A and, and there are basic physical standards for measurements such as the, the 
is it uh, platinum or iridium bar that's maintained in Paris under constant temperature to define the unit known as the meter? Correct. Versus and and since atomic clock to determine, you know, measures of time. I mean, right. but most of those dealing with these issues have no comprehension whatsoever of the nature of scientific measurement. That's so true, but you will then find that they become experts in everything. They are armchair physicists. They become experts in surveying. No matter what you say, they're, they've got an answer for it. And the last slide here is just the International Association of Geodesy, where you will find numerous documents defining uh, for everyone and anyone that needs uh, you know, high-level precision positioning on the face of the Earth or under the Earth or over the Earth. So I'm going to now go through each part, and uh, we'll begin with this whole uh, latitude and longitude on a flat Earth. These are the maps that you will see, especially the one on the left and the one in the center, that the flat Earth proponents are using to say that is the representation of the Earth. And, of course, I know these to be maps, and maps are projections of a sphere onto a flat surface. Yet these maps do include lines of latitude and longitude. So it's up to them, I think, to define how does the latitude and longitude actually work on a flat Earth. Um, I'm going to go through quickly how it, how it works, how we understand latitude and longitude to work. Here we have a point peak located at 40 degrees north, 60 degrees west. What does that mean? It means simply that an angle of 40 degrees measured from the plane of the equator up through the normal through point P gives you this uh, measurement of 40 degrees north, and that's an arc measurement. And likewise, the position of 60 degrees west is measured from somewhat of an arbitrary line called the zero meridian established at Greenwich. We measure 60 degrees west along this arc, now, if we have another point, let's say it's a point Q, uh, there, it's quite easily we are able to determine the arc measurement between those two points, along with the azimuth, which is the direction, and the change in elevation as well if, if we need to. Right now we're going to just focus on the arc. And I'm only giving this very simple formula. It's just spherical trigonometry based on a sphere. It's with, this is perfectly adequate for navigation purposes. But the central angle between P to Q is 23 degrees, 34 minutes, and a second. And I'll just throw this in here for as we go through the presentation. Are we talking about a sphere or an ellipsoid? Most of everything I'm going to discuss here is a sphere. The Earth is not a sphere, but it's very close to being a sphere. It's actually an ellipsoid. It's somewhat squashed. But... For, it's a, it's, yeah, it's an oblate spheroid. Correct. It's slightly thicker at the middle than it is uh, in right. other dimensions. Yeah, and there's a, you can read about an expedition they conducted in about the 1740s. The French wanted it to be oblate, or, or I'm, I'm saying that word wrong. They wanted it to be like an egg this way. Well, they sent expeditions, one to Lapland and one to Peru, and it took three or four years for them to finally return and discover that, yeah, it's actually squashed uh, at the poles. Um, so, Or slightly thicker at the middle. Yeah, go correct. ahead. Yeah, yeah. And so what do we do? We can project the latitude and longitude 
onto flat maps. Why? Because it's easier to walk around with a map than it is with a globe. And there are many, many different kinds of map projections. My first video, I, I go through that uh, in, in some detail. Jesse, you know, it's yeah. amazing. I think it was even in my exchange with David Weiss, who said something about what, what, where, how can you have a map of a round earth? And I said, a globe. And it was as though he never contemplated that a globe is an actual spherical model of a spherical object. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm throwing in a few books here that people can download. These are free PDFs. Well, these are classics. Oh, yeah. Here's the Practical Guide to Astronomy. Uh, again, I've taken an approach here to get way before NASA, get way back here. This book is uh, published in 1890. Um, I'm showing you the table of contents here, and I'm just circling latitude by Polaris. Every Boy Scout knows how to take his fist, measure the inclination up to Polaris, and, and determine your latitude to, you know, maybe plus or minus five degrees. I'm, I'm winging that. But certainly with instrumentation, you can determine your latitude. And the idea is that at the North Pole, the North, you know, the star is above your head. As you go southward, the pole star gets lower and lower on the horizon, and it's a direct relationship to your latitude. I also threw in this book. I'm going to start moving a little quickly to get to some of the meat of this. The American Practical Navigator, you can download this, the 2002 edition, which several pages into the book has a title page from when the book was published uh, long ago. I think it was in 1802. So, and again, that, that book has all of the formulas, tables, and everything you would need to know on how to do navigation by uh, celestial observation. So I'll just restate the challenge for part one. Explain how latitude and longitude work on the flat Earth. Well, the, 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 the Norsemen knew how to navigate by the stars and so sure. forth. I mean, this is an ancient activity. There's nothing really novel about it. But, but making it more refined and mathematically precise, of course, is a more recent development. But I think even in the 17th, 16th, 17th century, we had rather precise calculations of these points. Absolutely. Yeah, in my first video, I go through the history of geodesy and how triangulation, arcs of triangulation, were observed across Europe, across continents, across India, uh, you know. So, and, and, and I do point out several Flat Earth videos that make reference to elevation of mountains and so on. And, and my question to them is, well, what are you talking about? How did you determine these elevations? <laughs> so, and I, and I go through the history of how that was actually done. Onward to part two, this outward vertical tilt. Here we have the surface of the Earth, and if I take the, this, this common instrument called a, a carpenter's level and uh, stand it there, and I can do, I can determine a vertical plumb line. And if I take a second one, stand it next to it, we could certainly say that they're parallel. In fact, if you put them at either end of your house, you surely hope that your walls are parallel, plumb, and we accept that. And I'm using this tool, and I'm going to refer to this tool because no one can argue with, a, with this. This is, this is how construction is done. Everything you see around you Of course, you're talking about this extremely small units of Earth in terms of Earth. Sure. But what happens I when I can we, see you moving them outward, Jesse. I see where we're going. Here. Yeah, as you move them away from each other, certainly they are plumb at their location but they are definitely tilted away from each other. Now, I'm not suggesting, and I, and I do 
encourage people to do experiments. People like doing experiments, and the flat earthers do a lot of experimentation. But I'm going to hopefully get across them. They need to start including some of what I'm showing you here to validate their experiments. And I think they're going to actually arrive at different results than they are now making in their videos. But I'm not saying that you and your friend can go down the street from one another, 500 feet or 1,000 feet or the next neighborhood, and see the tilt using this instrument. It's not going to work. You have to go out and get a gyromatic tilt detector. And that, <laughs> this is where I introduce my, my sense of humor. Of course, there's no such thing as a gyromatic tilt detector, but what do we have? We actually have very, very precise instrumentation that can measure tilt very, very precisely. And I'm going to go into the basics of how this instrument works so that people can see it for themselves. So let's get back to the basic fundamental principles. We take a carpenter's level, and everyone's familiar with uh, here we are, they're laying some foundation blocks. You would like them to be flat. You would like them to be horizontal. You would like them to be level. These words are interchangeable all the time in the flat earth world. I'm going to show through the next course of slides how they are the same thing on your desktop, but quite different as you move away. How does this level work? You have a close-up here of a, a vial of glass that is curved with a bubble in there, and the liquid suspending it is of an alcohol nature. It's called a spirit level. And as you tilt that instrument, that bubble is going to move from one side to the other. When you get the bubble between the lines, you've created a horizontal level reference. It can also be turned upward to establish uh, the vertical direction, plumb. Okay? These are basic things that no one's going to argue with. I included this in my first video showing these immensely you know, tall buildings around the world. How did they get there? They got there using these principles. All right? So no one can argue that these principles work all around the world to create these buildings. And by the way, these buildings are all around the world. If the earth were flat, you surely should be able to see from one of these buildings to the other, right, at these altitudes. So moving on. So how does a level work? And this is where we have to say the first bad word, gravity. Believe it or not, there are flat earth folks that say gravity does not exist. Uh, the gentleman you referred to before is, is one of them that I've actually heard him say on his videos, gravity doesn't exist. Um, I'm going to go so into this. Why are we just flying off of this surface on which we exist if gravity doesn't? Well, the other thing they'll do is hold up a globe like this and say, why doesn't the water drip off. In other words, in their mind, this is down. Well, in fact, this, yeah, is, everything is, this is down. This is down. The, you know, down is down. They don't understand Newton's laws. No. Well, you know, they have a lot to say about him, too. So these, the following two questions can be treated independently. What is gravity? And what does gravity do? And I'm saying, I don't need to know what gravity is in order to experience what gravity does. And for yeah. anybody that says that's gravity exactly doesn't exist. That's exactly what Isaac Newton said. And, you know, step off the roof and find out if gravity exists. Okay? He said I feign no hypothesis, but I can give you an exact analysis of how gravity operates. So as to what is gravity, I, I'm going to just 
offer here. That depends oh, on yeah, what you curve, yes. uh, I just attended the uh, Electric Universe conference in uh, Phoenix last weekend, and this is one of the books that you can get through f- from this group, the uh, Thunderbolts Project. These are PhD scientists who are discussing gravity in a different way. It's electric magnetism. And look, I can't, I'm not claiming to be an expert on this. So I'll move away from what gravity is and let, let that be for further discussion and investigation. Everyone should. Well, I've featured an expert on this subject on the show before and expect oh, to have him back. Great. And uh, so we're going to go back to what does gravity do? And for the purposes of all of the experiments and all the presentation here, it is simply the force that causes the directions of up and down. And James McCanny. Go ahead. And uh, I have to also just introduce this one piece of complexity that we don't have time to go into in elaborate detail. And that's something called the deflection of the vertical, which is simply the difference between uh, the angular relationship between the normal to the geoid, which is the gravity surface, and something called the ellipsoid which is the mathematical model defined to represent the size and shape of the Earth to reduce your calculations to. Right. That's an idealization. Correct. And I'm going to be focusing more on the geoid through all of the experiments that I did. Which is appropriate because that's the actual physical surface. So putting it all together, just these basics for this part two of this uh, challenge, if we have the ability to define a level surface. And if we have the ability to measure angles very precisely, and if we couple that with the ability to see quite far or far enough, when we, uh, what we can do then is build what is known as a surveying theodolite. And I don't know if you can see it right back there over my shoulder. Uh, oh, yeah, you got one up on the shelf. Yeah, that's my wild T2. It's a one arc second theodolite. Um, it has a level vial. This is what allows us to uh, establish our relationship to the horizontal and to the vertical. And the internal workings of this highly refined piece of uh, machinery are two protractors, you could say. They are glass circles. One is a vertical circle and one's horizontal. Most of everything I'm talking about in this whole presentation will involve the vertical circle. Etched onto that glass are the, are the fine readings of literally direct, directly uh, one second so that people understand, can get a visual, what is one arc second? You, you know, that's a radial measurement. Uh, you need to, it's an arc measurement. You need to understand, well, what is it in relation to some distance? One arc second equates to just under five millimeters in one kilometer, or you could say just over a quarter of an inch in one mile, just to visualize the, the, the precision that we're discussing here. And so this is my, what did I call it? The gyromatic tilt set, tilt. <laughs> this, this is it. This is the instrument used. Right. And I'm using this because it replicates uh, methodology and equipment used hundreds of years ago. So we can get away from this whole NASA debunk. You know, look, there's plenty to debunk about NASA. You can go into all that. But it isn't the way to determine whether or not the Earth is flat or not. We knew we know the size and shape of the Earth long before NASA. Yeah, some of their arguments are bad enough that they say, you know, if NASA's lied to us about one subject, say the moon landing, 
but then we can't believe anything they say on any subject, which is a bit much. True. I, I think they've stepped off the edge. <laughs> so this outward vertical tilt, let's take a look at what we're talking about. If we can measure a zenith angle, and I use the term zenith angle quite a bit just to define it. Zenith is the up direction, and we're measuring an angle from the up direction to either the horizontal plane or to whatever object you're, you're measuring to. If we measure the zenith angle at both ends of the lines, if the Earth were flat, like you were saying earlier, these should sum to 180 degrees, but they never do. They are always going to sum to an angle to amount greater than 180 degrees. So yet at each end, you have established the vertical direction. So they are inclined to one another. And if we look at this a little closer, they are, par they are not parallel to each other. They are inclined. This would suggest that as, as we push these lines downward to below us, um, they're going to intersect. And that intersection would be what I'm calling the delta arc. So if I subtract the 180 degrees from the sum, I'm left with the amount of arc on that line. And so with that, I'll just restate again, this challenge is explain how this, these vertical plumb directions are inclined to one another on any line, in any direction, of any length, okay? Over water, land, doesn't matter. How does that fit the flat earth? Now, I'm going to touch on the first video where I did a one-mile test, and I chose a highway here, and I used the mile markers on the highway, and I just established two points at mile marker 27 and mile marker 28, and I measured the zenith angles at both ends of this line. And uh, when you do the calculation, uh, the geodetic arc there is, is 50 seconds, you know, using the correct formula to inverse between these two latitudes and longitudes. Now, I had gotten a lot of feedback, and people are saying a mile is too far. You can't do this in a mile. You're going to get incorrect readings due to the bending of light and, uh, and, and all of this other nonsense. Or if people are saying, oh, a mile's too short, you've got to go much longer than a mile. So which is it? Is it too short, too long? Can we get some agreement on how to validate this? Um, so and, uh, and when we do a mile with the angle... How far away is the intersection? The it, it, what I measured, my you know, uncorrected to the ellipsoid. I measured a minute and eleven seconds, and you know, I had I did have a lot of uh, waviness there. It was a it was a bright day under a, under a cloudy day. You'd get different results, and I'm you know I'm offering that. And what happens is they'll refute. They'll say, "Oh, see, it's not precise." Well, I can quantify the precision, and I would say that this determination using that T2 theodolite across that mile is probably plus or minus 10 seconds. Don't we already have enough information here to calculate the distance from the surface to the center of the Earth and the circumference the, of oh, the Earth? Absolutely. And but, but to go there, I've got to start talking about GNSS or GPS. And after part six of this, then we can because we're going to validate that. But we right now do know that, that the, the center of the mass of the earth to, to about the size of a baseball or smaller. Okay. And uh, it was only in um, 10 years ago, it was the, 
or, or a little longer than 10 years ago, it was still about the size of a beach ball. So it's been refined and refined and refined. So if one mile is not long enough, what about 93K or, or approximately 60 miles? This is a report that anybody can download among many. There are a lot of reports that people can download of all types of special projects for special survey purposes. This one is a survey of the McDonald Observatory. And what they did here, they did a radial line experiment. I'm not quite sure what their purpose was, but we have their observation data. They have a point in the center, and they measured long, long lines in every direction, radiating out. I took that. I, I actually went down to the National Geodetic Survey in uh, in Maryland. I was on a mission to go get some notes for Apple Pie Hill, which is featured in my first video. And uh, while I was there, I did get notes on this McDonald Observatory. And, and there were boxes of these books. These field books contain uh, zenith distances or zenith angles, the same thing. Uh, and they're, they have numerous uh, observations for this survey. And, and this is all empirical evidence, needless to say. Yes. Here are some pictures of uh, one of the – I actually personally know one of these gentlemen here. This is the type of uh, setups that are out in the desert. Uh, they, um, the, the, the very interesting thing about this was that they made their zenith angle observations simultaneously from both ends of the line so that they were under the same atmospheric conditions. And they were measuring temperature and pressure and humidity constantly throughout. And this took – I mean, they were out there for months doing this. <clears throat> so the instrument they used, you could see here, is a wild Herebrook T3. It is a direct reading to 0.2 seconds. And just for a visualization, that's under 4 inches in 60 miles. It's a very precise, fine fine uh, piece of machinery, this uh, T3. So anybody can download this from this URL if they choose to. What I did is I took the report. I took all of the observations, I put it into my software and recreated the project. Here it is in Google Earth, and you could see these radiating lines from the center point. I took the station pairs, 1 to 4, 1 to 7, 1 to 13, etc., and summed the zenith angle averages. And you can see here they are well above, uh, 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 you know, 180 degrees. And the longest one there is uh, 44 minutes and 33 seconds over 180 degrees. Here's a listing of the stations. They are published geodetic stations. Anyone can download the data sheet describing the stations and their positions from this URL. I guess folks who are interested can pause and, and go and do that. Now look what we have here. So I took just one of the pairs, uh, the longest one, one to four, these are the latitude and longitudes, and recall back to, to the first challenge where I describe latitude and longitude, we can calculate this arc on the ellipsoid. It's 50 minutes and two seconds. Looking at the chart again, we see the miles between these points, and we see here that this is a direct measurement of the outward tilt in every direction. That's important. You know, you really... People need to think about that. I'm not going to go into this in great detail, but I'm going to just, again, include it. Why is there a difference? It has to do with the undulation of the geoid to the mathematical surface, the ellipsoid. 
And what you're looking at in the chart are the raw observations not reduced to the ellipsoid. This is what they literally measured. The computation of the positions is reduced to the ellipsoid. So I have to just offer that explanation for the stickler who wants the details. There it is. Now, that was, that was 60 miles. Let's go to a line, and this is going to be interesting here. Uh, people suggested I should have measured my one mile. I should have gone up to the next mile and the next mile, and people think I have that kind of time on my hands. Well, I don't. <laughs> but the idea is correct. What if you were to continue going mile after mile, and you're measuring curvature? Well, here's a line. It's 1,100 meters long. It is a line called a calibration baseline. And for all those surveyors out there that say they don't measure curvature, recall that you are supposed to be taking your equipment and calibrating your electronic distance measuring device on these lines. You can go to this website and, and pick your state and find a calibration baseline near you. And I would say go out there, get the published, published lengths and the uh, differences in elevation between the points for the baseline near you. This one happens to be in Maryland. Um, I went there. I calibrated an EDM. And, of course, during that process, I measured zenith angles. And that's what we're going to focus on, not the distances, but the, uh, the zenith angles. Now, here it is in Google Earth. So we have a mark at the zero meter, 150 meters, 425, and out to 1,100 meters, all on one line. I made a quick sketch here showing my averaged zenith angles and so that you don't have to read my scribble. I'll include what I measured was 29 seconds in the 1,100 meter line, 9 seconds just in the 150 meters, 14 seconds in, in 275. Um, that's just raw physical measurements of zenith angles. Is it possible they just don't know how to do these measurements properly, does it? Uh, well, certainly most people are not really familiar with surveying to begin with. You know, we're the guys that stand on the side of the road. We're at the construction site. This, this is people's exposure to surveying. And so they don't know these details. I'm kind of, you know, I'm a little bit embarrassed that there are actually flat-earth surveyors. I mean, there are surveyors out there proclaiming that they don't measure curvature. I'm going to show them in this presentation that they ought to be able to go out and do this very thing that I did and answer for it. Now, it turns out that the two ends of this particular EDM baseline are also geodetically positioned. And so, you know, there are disks in the ground with latitude and longitude, and the arc there is 35 seconds which is very close to the arc measurement that I observed by zenith angles. Now, what about 500 feet? I, I did this test because uh, some folks were saying, you know, the, the, some folks are saying, well, you're just measuring too far. So I went to, I'll just move through, through this quickly. How I would they object that you're measuring too far, Jesse? That's absurd. The point is that you get because, small enough, you're going to diminish the, the degree of curvature to almost nothing. It won't be nothing, but it will be almost nothing. And yeah. then you think, look, you just add all these almost nothings and you don't get anything. <laughs> you see exactly where I'm going because the next test after this is shorter. But uh, 
I went here because this is a municipal parking lot. It's flat. You know, that's, that's the big deal is, is it's flat. And here's my instrument, and you cannot see it. Downrange is my target. I'm going to zoom in for you. There is a tripod down there with a target on it. And um, here's what I measured. I'm just going to get right to it. On, you know, it's, it's, under, it's under 500 feet. Uh, it's about 450 and 470 uh, in each direction. And I measured six arc seconds north-south and about seven seconds east-west. So that's important to know. I mean, not just measuring on one line, but the fact is that this curvature, just like that radial survey, that curvature is measured in every direction. Um, and, of course, I had to go ahead and geodetically position them as well. And the arc measured on the ellipsoid is four seconds and five seconds compared to the raw, you know, gravity-based measurement uh, of the zenith angles. So we have close agreement here. Now, it's about this time that I discovered God, or God found me. And he mirrored my first video, and he reposts my video, and he calls me a lazy, arrogant land surveyor. And it turns out... This is someone who uses the handle G-O-D? No, no. He, he's Lord Stephen Christ. And um, anyone oh, I can... See. Yeah. Anybody can go to this particular video and see the exchange that took place there before I understood I was speaking to God. <clears throat> um, but he judged me, and it turns out he's not a flat earther. He's a, I get these two mixed up, concave. He's a concaver. And he says that what we see, we're being deceived by what we see because light bends upward. And I'm asking him, how much? Yeah. Tell me the quantity. Uh, well, so that con, I, if he's a concaver, Jesse, then the sum of the interior angles ought to be less than 180 degrees. Uh, yeah. And so he would never answer the question. I'm asking him, quantify it. In what distance would I see this this bending? Well, that prompt. And now, by the way, I, I'm going to say you can, I might be arrogant sometimes, <laughs> but I'm not lazy. Because here's just a display. I, I don't detect any arrogance <laughs> in you whatsoever. I mean, every one of these folders is dated and is filled with video. You know, every experiment yeah. I've done here. I mean, I've gone through the, the, the effort to churn out a video. I mean, there's an enormous amount of work that goes into capturing these observations, reducing them, and then, and then putting them into a, a presentation format. So there's no laziness here. No way. Now, but it did prompt me to say, okay, I'm going to get down to a 200-foot test. I could go down to a 100-foot test, but now I'm starting to approach the ability of this particular instrument sure. to detect the curvature. Sure. So I gave myself a 100-foot, you know, uh, and I said, I'm going to do 200 feet in two directions. So we have ABC, and uh, there's no doubt about it. I don't even need to zoom in. You can see my my target down there. These are two points clearly visible between each other. Uh, and I measured, here's all my zenith angles just for completeness sake. I'm going to churn through this a little quicker here. I want to get to some of the better stuff coming. We've got five seconds in each direction. Okay, that's five seconds plus or minus a second or two uh, based on the, the lighting conditions, etc. But He's telling me what I'm measuring here is the, 
the upward bending of light. And uh, that's just not true. It isn't true at all. And again, again here I, I compute the uh, geodetic arcs and they're two seconds, just as you would expect at this latitude. You know, these, these arc measurements change, and they change in your direction depending upon where you are. If you're up at 89 degrees near the North Pole, you know, these lengths are going to be different. And, and, and that's another thing that they struggle with. Let me back that up. They struggle with that idea, but they really should consider it. Um, so... I throw this in here. Curvature is observed 100 years for hundreds of years. You want to repeat that point, Jesse? It slipped by me. What, what should they consider? Uh, the fact that uh, depending upon what latitude you are making these measurements, yes. you're going to have slightly different results. Yes, of course. That just you know, that makes sense. Yes, of course. But they argue that. And that's the thing. Just think I, of an orange for crying out loud. I mean, this is not complicated. I, I agree, but what you are confronted with, I think that some of these folks are sincere. I think they've been hypnotized a little bit. But I, th I do think that some of these folks are disingenuous and will argue you yes. beyond reason. And, uh, you know. Yes. Yeah. So. Well, anyone who continues to maintain the flat of position after your presentation here, I'd say has lost their way. I don't think they saw this one coming, Jim. And, you know, this is a simple test, very simple to do. And if it means so much to them, like I said, call your neighborhood surveyor and get him out to a park. Uh, and you guys, you sur I'm talking to you guys now, you surveyors who are saying the earth is flat because you don't measure curvature, it's on you to explain these things away. So... I throw this in. This is a great book. I love the title, Determination of the Figure of the Earth from Arc Measurements. It's a great book. It's published long ago in the late 1800s. This one here is 1906. Well, this is a famous historian of science, Butterfield. And he goes through, and I, I show the table of contents. He goes through and discusses all of the arc measurements made through the, you know, over the hundreds of years by all these different people, different campaigns all around the world, this is not a conspiracy of these guys all signed on to this Masonic pact to fake a curved earth. <laughs> you know, it's just ridiculous. I believe the Butterfield I was thinking of is Herbert, but they may well be related because their interests are overlapping. Yeah, he's a professor of mathematics and mechanics, yeah. engineering department, University of Vermont. Yeah, my guy is in England, UK, probably Cambridge. So we're going to move away from part two now and go into challenge part three, which is the easy one. I'm not suggesting everyone should go out and get uh, theodolite, you know. So but this is where they have to start to make the distinction between a level line and a horizontal line. And like I said earlier, certainly you, you would hope that your table is flat and you would hope that it's level so that nothing rolls off of it and that, you know, it's horizontal. So... Yeah, on your tabletop, on the floor of your house, these two are coincident. But as you, as, as the two diverge, the, the horizontal line will go out, but the level line is going to follow the curve of the earth. I think this is very, very important, Jesse. I think this is a common confusion. Correct. Probably what, uh, you know, may be at the bottom of much of this flat earth argument. I agree. And that's why I approached it this way, because this is the very thing. We don't need to go into outer space. You can go do this on your street. 
So again, I'm not suggesting people go out and rent a complicated theodolite with knobs and dials and, you know, it takes skill. You've got, it takes years to learn how to operate one of these proficiently. So forget that. And besides, it, 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 it measures angles and, and so forth. Let's, let's get away from that and let's go out and get one of these or get someone who has one of these. This is a very simple instrument. All it has on it is a, is a circular uh, level vial here. And if, if you can get that bubble in that little red circle, the internal mechanisms, these pendulums, uh, these compensators are going to take over for you and establish a very precise uh, line of sight. And again, you can see in this diagram, the level surface, you know, descends away from that line of sight that is the horizontal at your location. Okay. <clears throat> so going back to the first video, I, uh, the reason I did this was that in, in the uh, video called Flat Earth Proof Number 3, Land Ho, he uses an example. There, there are many examples. One of them is the uh, Statue of Liberty, which I'll talk about a little bit later. But this one is right in my backyard, about a half hour from where I live. There's a place called Apple Pie Hill. So it's a little mound here in southern New Jersey. And you can see Philadelphia from it. And he calculates that the cur that you should not be able to see Philadelphia based on the way he calculated the curvature. Well, uh, as you can see, I um, made a sketch here. You can see on the left, that's a sketch of the tallest building that I observed. I measured zenith angles to the top of that building. I didn't know what building it was at the time. It turns out it's the Comcast uh, skyscraper. And I also show you on the right side my crosshair. So... We're going to get into the details and the math of this in a little bit. But subsequent to that, I did go ahead, bring this level that I'm telling people, go out and get one of these. Don't get a theodolite. I took it up to the Apple Pie Hill Fire Tower. There's a picture of me observing that. And this time, I thought to take my iPhone and take a photograph <laughs> of my crosshair slicing through the buildings way up high in the sky. Okay, good, and good, good move. And I posted this on one of these Facebook groups. Someone told me that about these Facebook groups, these Flat Earth Society, Sphere versus, or you know, there's a number of them, about a handful of these groups. I posted that up there, and the first thing they said to me is, "Oh, that telescope's not powerful enough. You can't zoom." So I throw this in here for a little laugh. You know, they suggest that you take some gigantic telescope to zoom in. And there's no need for it. You're missing the point. I'm just showing you this. That's it. That the curvature drop is measured down from the horizontal plane established perpendicular to the plumb line at your direction. And that's, that's what... At your location. At your location. And, and you're, you're pushing that plane out. And what you're seeing here is the elevation of that building is about 1,000-some feet. And I'm slicing through the building at about 140 feet below the top. I'm at elevation 276. How is this possible on a flat earth? People need to see this for themselves. So, yeah, just to illustrate that point. The, the calculation that the 8 inches times the mile squared gets measured down from this 
drop. It measures the drop of the curvature. It doesn't – they, they use these terms, obscured curvature or hidden curvature. They're saying that it's over the horizon. Well, that's not what that formula does. And I'm going to just restate the challenge again. Look through the telescope of one of these simple instruments and see this for yourself. Let's do part four. And this is where I think they ought to really see this clearly. The 8 inches per mile squared is nothing more than expression of the Pythagorean theorem. It, it, it works out to be that. And so when you do the calculation, the drop is that right there, from your horizontal plane down to the curve. And, and there it is. The drop is the 8 inches per mile squared. Here's what they don't do. They do not establish that geometry. So when they're out there with these magnificent cameras, and believe me, they, they do some great videos with some really long-range telescoping uh, video captures. And But who knows how they're tilted? I mean, they could be any which way. They do not establish this geometry. So that's why I'm saying here, no flat earth video includes this essential geometric alignment required to make sense of the uh, curvature formula. And so they complain when they can see the thing. It doesn't matter. <laughs> you could see it. So what? <laughs> if you can see it, that means it's not over the horizon. But you can calculate the drop of the curve from your horizontal plane very easily. So, and that's it. I'll just move on now to, oh, I do want to include this fact here that this 8 inches per mile squared comes from Samuel Robotham. Have you heard of this person? Yeah. Who, yeah they cite him a lot. He's there. You know, that one book he wrote about his experiment, which has been actually debunked, it doesn't work. What he did does not. Well, I think this is absolutely crucial, the difference between the flat line and the horizontal. I mean, it's this really is, striking. This is it here. And that's, you know, this ends the flat earth right here. So uh, anyway, uh, if you want to include refraction, you need to use 0.57 feet times the mile squared because light is bending. It's just not bending in the direction uh, that other guy said it is. <laughs> so, And I'm going to talk more about that. So I'm going to say this, that confusing the visibility of an object with the drop of the curvature is evidence of, it's just evidence of willful ignorance. You're, it's wrong. It's time for them to uh, fess up, acknowledge this, and maybe make a retraction video Here's a screen snap from that one video called Flat Earth Proof Number 3, Land Ho. He says, you know, the Statue of Liberty is visible from 60 miles away. And I'm saying, from where? Okay, where is it visible? Not everywhere, all right? So, yeah, it's true that certain things are going to be visible from certain things depending upon their elevation. Well, if you're down in a valley, for example. Of course. And if you go up to the top of Mount Everest, I think you're going to see very, very far. <laughs> you're going to see a lot of things. You won't see the Empire State Building. Exactly. <laughs> so, so I'm saying, why not 100 miles, 200 miles, or 500 miles? Or, you know, why can't I see Chicago? So... They have an answer for that. It's uh, perspective. They get into this whole perspective deal. So there's over 2,000 feet of curvature in 60 miles? Uh, you know, I didn't check that math right there. That's, that's what he says. Uh, I'm actually considering doing one more experiment just to put this to bed. Uh, I'll, I'm going to try to find an area where I could see the Statue of Liberty from very far and do the repeated experiment I did for Apple Pie Hill. 
uh, hopefully I don't need to do that, and I don't really want to do that, but I'll do it. <laughs> I, I should do it, and people should come and see it for themselves. We should get a meetup and get some of these Flat Earth folks to come uh, come up there. Anyway, I think this is an excellent test subject for challenge number three. And uh, just, again, restating the challenge, learn to apply the curvature formula, and don't confuse uh, visibility with the drop of the curvature. Jesse, go back to the formula a sec, would you? Yes. Just, just to make sure, if it's eight inches, if it's only one mile squared, one times one is one. But if it's two miles, then it's four. So does that mean there's a greater dropage when you increase each mile, the, the percentage of curvature is the, That is correct. That is correct. So as your plane extends further and further, just as I'm showing in this little diagram, the drop, you're, you're really, your plane is, is tangent or, you know, yeah, perpendicular to, your, to the circumference, yes. Correct. And the curve is dropping away. But that doesn't mean you can't see stuff. <laughs> As you saw my crosshair hitting this skyscraper in Philadelphia, that's my plane, but I'm at the top of the building. I'm throwing this in just so people are aware that uh, this flat earthers did not stumble upon refraction. It's a well-known uh, property. It's very qu uh, quantified and characterized in survey literature going back decades and decades. We know the amount of refraction under different uh, atmospheric conditions. So I'm just, Should that say horizontal line or should that say um, flat line? Uh, what was the phrase you were using before to distinguish uh, between well, the horizontal? Well, the level. Level, level. Yeah. Yes, yeah. In fact, I think I have a better, I have another diagram of this. Yeah, the level line. Well, I mean, is it's a horizontal up. line there. The level line, is that intended to be the level line? Let's see here. The horizontal is 90 degrees to your uh, perpendicular here. Right. Horizontal line. Is that also the level line? No, the level line's here. I don't know if can you see my mouse pointer going across. Yeah, I've seen it. Yeah. Yep. And there, I have a better diagram coming up. Okay, go ahead. Just, just, and I'm just showing you some publications that anybody can look up to really get into the meat of of this information. Yeah. Here's a here's another sketch of the same thing. Um, the horizontal line is here. The level line is here. And here they are defined. The level line or level surface is one which all the points are normal to the direction of the force of gravity. And the horizontal line is the surface uh, that is normal to the direction of the force of gravity at one particular point. And the, you know, this is how it works. Now I'm going to get into the drawing to scale discussion. And uh, this is another video that uh, is, is out there uh, that I included in my first video. Um, a lot of these videos show these sketches that are not to scale. And admittedly, he, he does indicate this is oversimplification. I'm glad he put that there. He's qualifying it. But it would be far better to uh, indicate the way it should be drawn. And he's got this like this, whereas it should be this way. And the way he has it drawn, Lake Ontario appears to be around 3,500 miles. You know, it's, it's deceiving. And for the person who's not considering the real geometry, 
they're taken in by this. So in the background here, I've got my AutoCAD drawing of the measurements I made from Well, Adam. he's treating the line of sight as or the level line. And he does not, yeah, exactly. And none of them go through the trouble of establishing that to truly be perpendicular, you see. So there's where the line of sight is ambiguously labeled. It's just wrong. That's correct. They would be, and if, you know what, if they don't want to get one of these, go get a carpenter's level and get a uh, telescope from a rifle, stick it on there, and you make a crude level <laughs> instrument so that at least what you're looking at, you could determine, is, is actually your horizontal plane uh, extended out to whatever it is you're looking at, some skyline or, or, or other land feature. So I included this part five as a challenge so that they can see this for themselves. If you take the measurements I did here and we zoom in from Apple Pie Hill to Philadelphia, uh, in, in fact, we are looking at what appears to be very flat in 35 miles. That's 35 miles. You know, it looks flat to me. If we zoom in over on the right side, we're looking at my instrument uh, on the on the top of the uh, fire tower, and uh, if we look, zoom in over on the left side, we can see the top of the Comcast building, and then and the next line down is that tangent line at Apple Pie Hill, hitting this very tall skyscraper. And this this is lower down at street level, just zoomed down lower, and I'm going to show people the math. I'm at I'm observed, I'm at, I'm at about 256 feet, and I'm striking the building at roughly 138 feet below 1,006 feet. This, this is what anyone would see anywhere, you know, that they conduct an experiment like this. So this answers the fact that there is no hidden curvature, as he makes out to be in his uh, Flat Earth Proof Number 3 video. So... I'm missing. I'm. I'm. Uh, my math doesn't work out to about 12 feet or so. So that's one part in 14,000. That's good enough for a third-order intersection, as we say in uh, geodetic surveying. Uh, and the last part of uh, of this challenge is go ahead and download some free software yourself. Google search free CAD drawing software, and you'll find a lot of these shareware programs that that you can draw your own uh, measurement results and, and put them in there. And you're going to see right away why it looks flat. Moving on to part six, this is an important aspect to answer this, uh, this idea that GPS is from cell towers. I'm giving the URL for where anybody can download this book, which describes how GPS works. And this thing is published because... Manufacturers need to know how this, this system works in order to create their own equipment. So the signal structure is described. The code is characterized. Uh, the timing and how it all works is all public information. I'm just showing you another shot of the table of contents to get an idea. It's a PDF. Anyone can go download this. This is what they have to refute. They have to show us how... This, all this information is concocted and fabricated to deceive you into thinking there are satellites. 
okay? Even the, the UN is in on it. <laughs> they have this book that describes all of the G GNS systems. You know, there's not just GPS. The Russians have GLONASS. The Chinese have Baidu or Compass. Uh, and the European Union, if it, if it continues, <laughs> is uh, they have a thing called Galileo. So there's more than GPS. So even, even if you use this photograph and put a straight line on right. the two ends of the line, you'll see the curvature. Yeah, but of course they're laughing at us. You know, they're laughing at us, saying, "You know, the Earth is flat." Here's the Earth right here. Here's another URL. Anybody can go and look at the enormous amount of people involved, companies involved, either contracted to make components for the satellites themselves, or the components for GPS receivers, uh, timing devices, and when whatnot. A to Z. Here's all these companies. Even the public is involved. Uh, there are open source uh, software you can get. Uh, here's one I just snagged. These guys like to fly drones for photography and, uh, and, and fun. They can load GPS onto the drone and guide it. Okay. Not to mention highways are constructed now with GPS mounted on the blades of the uh, equipment, of, of the dozer. <laughs> you can see that for yourself. Just drive down the highway. You'll see GPS receivers mounted on the uh, equipment. So here's where I'm going to get into the meat of this. There's something called RINEX, which stands for Receiver Independent Exchange Format, and it defines the ASCII file. It is not a proprietary file. Every manufacturer outputs a an ASCII file. Two files. And for those who may be unfamiliar with the term, this is an international code for for programming computers. Yes. There are two major, ASCII and EPSIDIC, introduced by IBM. So this is just talking about the type of code in which, which is most basic to these programs. And here's a, I'm going to show you two snapshots. This is the observation data. And this can be output from any receiver. And it, these are range measurements from satellites. So they got to explain to us how they fabricate that to pretend that it's actually coming from land-based antennas. Here's the navigation file. And what's in here? Well, it looks like a lot of gobbledygook. It's Think what an absurd enterprise <laughs> it would be to try to fake satellite <laughs> distances and data to compensate, to perpetrate this fraud on the people. You got it. That's where I'm going with it. And, you know, this looks like a lot of gobbledygook, but it's a well-defined format of the navigation data which is filled with Keplerian orbital parameters. And what is that? It's the behavior of a satellite orbiting the Earth. And this is the heart of it. They have to tell you that GPS comes from land-based antennas because otherwise they have to admit that there are orbiting satellites. And if there's orbiting satellites, the Earth cannot be flat. Jesse, you're tying this together beautifully. I'm just, well, thank you. I'm just this, very, and here's, very favorably impressed. Well, thank you. I hope I hope it helps the many I'm trying to reach. I really am sincerely trying to reach people who have been gobbled up in a, in a hypnotic trance. Uh, look, I understand people people have a right to question everything, right? And and because we have a lot of questions, and there's a lot of explaining to do of what's going on in this world. But don't fall for this, because to me, this is a psyop that's been injected into the truth community. 
to, you know, debunk everything. You cover everything. I want to go back to Apple Hill in conclusion. It actually does. I actually have, that is the conclusion of this. Oh, this is the conclusion now? No, I'm getting to, Apple Pie Hill is what I conclude with. Oh, really? Are are we we up on? We're doing fine time-wise. We have over 10 minutes. Yeah, I wrap it up with Apple Pie Hill. I want people to see uh, just how that works. But here's some stuff you'll see on Facebook and, and other places that the earth is flat and the satellite antennas are on buildings. This is what they have to maintain. So to me, the challenge is explain how you take everything I just showed and, and, and force it into that, that it's coming from cell towers. Even the signal structure. GPS is in the microwave band. Cell towers are in the 900 megahertz band and, uh, or were. Now, here's the thing. So they make this claim. So now if anybody goes and researches radio, here's the radio operator's handbook from the Marine Corps. And in the first few chapters, it is filled with Earth curvature calculations. <laughs> yeah, because the radio waves are emitted in straight lines, so they got problems with how they could connect. Here's another one. I just I just Google searched a few things on radio and antennas and came upon this one. I had to include this one. Earth curvature and atmospheric refraction effects on radio signal propagation. And look what it says here. The Earth isn't flat, and radar beams don't, don't travel straight. So... Everywhere you look, all these books have the basic equations for calculating the curvature of the Earth to determine radio propagation, radio wave propagation. Uh, there it is, the radius of the Earth, 6,378 6, kilometers. Um, this was a great one. I just had to throw it in as a nice cartoon. You know, radio waves are diminished, their, their ability to travel, but they do various techniques like bouncing off the ionosphere and things like that. This is, upon, this is a very air. important practical application. Yeah. So, but just to make things complete, I did an experiment for folks. I, I went to this URL, this website, where you can find cellular signal strength. And I found here near to me, in the Wharton State Forest, there is no cells, cellular signal here. And so I went out here, splashing through the puddles, getting back here to a place where I had no service. And, and, and back here in this location, I operated my GPS receiver. Actually, I left one sitting on a geodetic marker, and, I let, and I'm back here, and I called this point no cell service. I was able to log the raw data and process the vector just fine. So, yeah, GPS works without cell coverage. And, and a lot of, everyone, everyone knows this, but people have to pay attention. So if you want to question things, start questioning things. And don't well, This is why in some areas you have bad cell service or no service at all. True. I mean, if Earth were flat and everything is being <laughs> propagated in straight lines, we ought to have universally accessible cell phone service. Agreed. Okay, so just closing on the sixth part there, present the technical details to demonstrate exactly how we're being bamboozled, uh, you know, receiving data files with satellite range measurements, Keplerian orbital parameters, but yet it's really coming from a tower over there. You, If you're going to make that claim, you have to explain how they do that. I'm going to start moving a little quicker because I want to definitely get to the end. Here again, you're going to see a lot of the these, these cartoons about level and uh, trying to say that 
the water is flat. No, it's level. You just don't understand what level means. This is just a diagram of a tide skate, tide station, tide gauge. Um, it's well understood that the, the earth, the water, these large bodies of water are going to uh, follow the curvature of the earth. No, no, it doesn't drip off. I mean, get real. <laughs> so here's just a map of the United States showing the main tidal stations that were used back in the 1900s, early 1900s, to establish the early vertical datum that became uh, the uh, NAVD-29, NGVD-29, National Geodetic Vertical Reference of 29. Now, here's the interesting thing about each of one of these tide stations. You can go look them up and look them up in whatever state, and you're going to find what? Latitude and longitude. Well, if they have latitude and longitude, that means you can calculate the arc from every one of these. So while we're looking at this on a flat representation of the United States in a Lambert conformal projection, they they are on a curved surface. That's right? the curved lines for latitude and longitude, but latitude in particular reflect. Exactly. So they're very fascinated with railroads, uh, with this whole perspective thing. See, see, Jim, this photograph here proves that the Earth is flat. It's nonsense. I had to throw this in, surveying, railroad surveying, and geodesy. And I would tell you, this would be a perfect location to do test number two. <laughs> Every surveyor should go out here with his theodolite, measure zenith angles right on up that railroad, and you're going to find out just how curved it is. Now, I had to cover some of this. This is uh, from, from uh, Facebook, which I'm calling the flat earth cartoon world of bullshit memes. And I really had to take issue with this one in the lower left. They're, you know, they're getting some surveyors who are, I guess, not well acquainted with their own trade or profession anymore, who are claiming that they don't measure curvature. And this one is an interview of a surveyor, and he says, quite quite honestly, he doesn't calculate curvature. But you have to listen to him and, and talk about, he talks about the work that he does. Curvature doesn't apply to the work he was doing. So I went on here and I challenged these surveyors and I said, you guys need a little remediation course on how you do measure curvature by using what's called the state plane coordinate system, which is a designed to take the portion of the earth that you're working on and flatten it out into a developable mathematical surface, either a cone or cylinder. And these are available all around the world. Every New Zealand, Australia, Europe, they all have their national grid system so that you can apply normal trigonometry and not need to use, you know, very complicated spherical uh, computations. It's a convenience, but the fact is curvature is being dealt with. Uh, again, I'm showing the zones. Every every state has a zone or two. Some states need uh, more than one zone to break it up into a developable surface. Here is an, a snapshot of the internals of the instrument where curvature refract the curvature correction is is on. And uh, I'm just showing you this. This is a project I worked on where I had to calculate 
my own low distortion projection across multiple states. So I couldn't just pick a state plane coordinate system in Arkansas or Oklahoma. I had to create one that would uh, uh, fit this 700-mile-long project. And I'm leaving the puppy. I don't need to explain. I love the puppy. Somebody posted this on one of these groups uh, wishing uh, the Flat Earth Mothers the happiest of days. Now, this is where I want to get a little serious about what it, why I'm really drawn to this. You guys, I'm talking to you Flat Earthers. You're not paying attention to what's important. Why don't you make some memes of, of this? Find out what's going on in these photographs. Right? Start, you know, they, they really, Jim, they really think that if they could convince the one last person, go get that last guy to believe the earth is flat, that they're going to get somewhere and change things. And, of course, that's just nonsense. Let's pay attention to what's real, the suffering that's going on in this world. And I apologize to folks to include such horror. Uh, you know, look, where I live, I don't walk down the street and see kids laying in the street, you know, with their guts hanging out. But this stuff is going on all over the world. And I really think that, the, you know, all of you who are so focused on this flat earth really need to take a break. Just take a week. And don't look at that stuff and start looking at other things. Start paying attention to things that matter or important. I'm going to throw this out here, especially you folks in the, in the United States. Go and look at this website. And if you think the flat earth is a secret, I'm saying no. Effing reality is the big secret. And go to this website and start with the Liberty, USS Liberty. Get started. I have, I have her scheduled to be a guest in, uh, on my show, on the show. She's a beautiful one. I, I met her in Philadelphia when she came to speak, and I, I just think the world of her, uh, of what she's doing and how she's doing it and the tone she takes. Folks, get, get off this flat earth crap and get paying attention to what's real, and then you're going to see some change. If we could all Jesse, do you think it was introduced as some kind of psyop? I'm I very do. interested. In I, I, I do. I really do. I, I think it. I think it is. But uh, how can I know that for sure? I can't know it. But I'm doing what I can to bust it up as best I can to put this news out here. To you know, they 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 really have to answer what I'm what I'm saying here. I have looked at some other sites that do try to debunk the flat Earth. There's always an answer for it. There's no answer for what I've shown here. The curvature, it's there. It's just there, you know. But I, I, I agree. So We're going to go back to Apple Hill? Here we are. We're going to finalize it there. Um, I went to get the field notes. I wanted to show the delta arc with the zenith angles, and those, those notes weren't available. But the, the one thing that I did discuss in my first video was something called spherical excess. And here you have a sheet. This is not the field notes themselves, but a computation sheet using logarithms to uh, account for and compute the triangulation. And, of course, spherical angle and spherical excess is columned on this worksheet for the reductions. And that's at Apple Pie Hill. Now, what did I do? I measured zenith angles from one end to a tall building in Philadelphia. And that's all I had. I can't go up, I can't knock on the door of the Comcast building and say, can I go on the roof and make some angles, measurements? <laughs> Not going to happen. So I did the best thing I could do, and that was get on the Camden side of the Delaware River and do some geodetic intersections angles in order to compute 
the position of the Comcast building. And that's what I'm doing here. And there's a picture of the Comcast building through my telescope. And basically, here's a plan view in Google Earth showing the little baselines I have over on the Camden side on the right side, measuring angles up to the buildings, the, the building corners of that Comcast building. Here's a 3D view. You're just looking at me looking toward the building. It's a little sketch just showing corner one, corner two, three, four, five, and six. There it is. That's what it looks like. Those are the corners I measured to. And with that, I could compute the position of the Comcast building as a full-blown geodetic survey from the tower to the building. There it is. This is in Google Earth again. And I have now the ability to compute the inverse between the two positions, which is here. Again, anybody can pause along the way to look at this information. But what did I find? That there's no missing curvature. <laughs> there's an arc. 28 minutes, 5 seconds. And so now I'm going to tab out of this presentation to show you a three-part conclusion. Come on now. There it is. I'm going to just go into Google Earth. Hopefully that's showing up uh, just the way I would like it to. All I'm doing here is showing you each of the tests that I've just presented in this presentation. Let's go up here. This is the mile test on Route 206, one mile between these points, curvature. Let's go over here. There's a park at the municipal park, 500 feet, curvature. We'll go over here, 200 feet, it's curvature. <laughs> Not concocted not mathematized, but physically measured, just being presented here in Google Earth. Go down here, whoops, come down here to Maryland. <laughs> oh, that's Philly, hold on. Let's go all the way down to Maryland. We have four minutes left, Jesse. All right, well, then I'm going to skip the next one. Anyway, you get the idea. Uh, curvature everywhere you look discard that. I want to show you, you just have to look at this one for sure. I combined cell phone coverage with Antarctica. Antarctica is a big deal for the flat earthers. They say no one's down there. They say it's a big ice wall. Well, it's all distributed around the outside of the flat earth. It's a, I forget how high it is. It's a big ice wall. But it's bizarre. Holds the water. Well, this one's the, the real, this is this is the conclusion. Uh, I went ahead and I recorded data, law, you know, raw data using GPS at my mile marker test. And I went ahead and went to the site called Unavco, which maintains GPS, GNSS receivers operating all around the world. Okay? They do a lot of science through that agency and uh, or that education body. All this data is available on the Internet, and I processed baselines from Maryland to Cuba. I didn't go to Cuba. I just went on the Internet and downloaded the data. Um, went to from Cuba to Bogota, 
I've never been there, but I did download this data. Then I, there I am in Brazil. There's the receiver in Brazil. Uh, down to uh, the tip of South America. And, of course, I had to make my way down to uh, the South Pole. And, I got, you know, if you're going to put a GPS receiver on Earth anywhere, you better put one at the South Pole. By the way, when you click on these, it takes you right to their website. Again, all publicly available information. There's the station. Here's a site photo. Every one of those stations has a site photo attached to it. Um, I think I made my point with that. I'm going to close Google Earth. And discard. And continuing, the gauntlet is thrown. <laughs> Pick it up. <laughs> Brilliant job, Jess. Can we just go back to your uh, view with your theatolite of the building in Philadelphia from Apple Hill? Could we find that? It's in the... Oh, what you mean I'll with... Your... back to the original when you were explaining. Was it with this instrument? Yeah. Yeah. You go back, yeah, to that image. It's way back, you know. Yeah, it is. If you don't mind. I just want to be sure. Yeah, it's in part three. This one. Uh, yeah, go to one where the height the height difference is compared, maybe one or two. Oh, yeah, uh, the actual, yeah, where I drew it in CAD. Yeah, I think. Yeah, that would be uh, here. Yeah, that would be in this one. Well, the, the point I want to make is if the Earth were flat, then when you have a, a, a level line, it should hit at the same elevation as Apple Hill on the building. Correct. In fact, the building is much, much higher. Exactly. That's that's this diagram, Jim. Over here, you can see uh, I, I on the tower, up on the tower, the telescope is at 255, 256 feet. You bring that line across, and by the way, this would come down to here because I'm zoomed in. This is that level line. I'm sorry, not, I should be saying horizontal line, Okay. The level line is down here. The horizontal line hits the building. You're correct. This building is, I determined it to be 1,000, 1,006 feet high by my measurements. Right. And if there were no curvature, then it ought to be way down on the building. Instead, it's way at the top because of the curvature allows more of the building to be elevated to get on the line that you've established visually. That is exactly right. And, uh, you know, think of two thumbtacks, stick two thumbtacks in an orange, right? The, the flat tops of those thumbtacks are doing this. And so this is where that curvature is calculated from. So you're absolutely correct. Jesse, i got to say, I really admire the sophistication of your presentation, but also your use of the slides. It's as good as any I've ever seen in my life. Thank you very much. This is Jim Fetzer, your host on The Real Deal. Thank you, my special guest, Jesse Kozlowski, for his Flat Earth Challenge. And thank you all for watching.